evening, let's go to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number two. Briefly, I want to teach on seven things believers should know from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I believe it was this past Tuesday night that we looked with greater detail into chapter one, verses three through 14, and we talked about the blessings God has given to us. In the sense that we've been predestined to blessing, we talked about how we were chosen and then made acceptable in the beloved. Tonight I want to begin with chapter 2 verse 13 where it says that, But now in Christ Jesus all of you who sometimes were far off are now made nigh by the blood of Christ, brought near by the blood of Christ. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel had a priesthood, and it was their role to offer sacrifices to God. These were animals. God wanted the blood of animals because he could not find the blood of humans acceptable. Men were stained with sin. And animals, about the closest he could come to any kind of creation of his who had not been tainted with the kind of sin that affects us. So a lot of animals had to, had to die. Thousands of them, when you think about it, from the time of Adam and Eve, when they were expelled from the garden until the time of Christ, God only knows how many lambs, how many bullocks, how many turtle doves died. When Moses erected the tabernacle, the scriptures said they had to offer up sacrifices at least twice a day. Twice a day. And that's six days a week. Then they got a day of rest. You think of how many people had to take animals to the tabernacle door because of the sins of their family. And think of all the, the goat herders and others that raised animals to be sacrificed in the tabernacle. It was a sort of business. Well, when Jesus came as the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, can you imagine how that affected so many people? We were made Christian by our faith in the Lord. Other people have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. He saved man, but think of the fact that he did something in the natural. He saved mankind spiritually, but he saved thousands of animals that would have had to die continually. At the same time, the scripture is very plain that as a high priest of our profession, that his once and for all sacrifice was enough to take care of any and everything. So we were foreigners estranged from God without any kind of covenant with the Lord, but then we were made acceptable by embracing the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of the blessings here mentioned in Ephesians chapter number 2, verse 13. We've been brought near. Nearness and acceptance are important. No one wants to have a relationship with a God that they can't talk to, that they can't reach out to, that they can't have a relationship with. And it's the same thing even in a family. You know, there are a lot of people that have the kind of jobs that do not allow them to spend a lot of time with their kids. And sometimes when the kids are around, the kids are to be seen but not to be heard. I've heard stories of scholars who were so busy with the work that they did in the office that they didn't even want their wife to allow the kids to make noise when they played in the home. So the kids grew up uh, with an animosity towards dad's scholarly activities. 
I've heard of people that have been lawyers and spent so much time in their office up on the 15th floor or 40th floor, wherever they are, that the kids never could get to them. And the only way the kids could get to the parents, they had to talk through a secretary or a nanny. Imagine that. You have been given nearness to God because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need a preacher. You don't need anybody to talk to you on behalf of another. You can reach God on your own. And that's beautiful. And it's because of what what Christ did for you. If you look at chapter three, then and look at verse number seven, it tells us something beautiful about ministers. It says, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Paul says he became a minister, was made a minister because of the grace of God. There are a lot of people who choose to be ministers because they want a second career. And the colleges and universities and divinity departments and seminaries crank out preachers every year. There will be thousands of ministers that will graduate across this nation this, this, this uh, early summer. And they're going to have a diploma that says they're qualified to preach. But that doesn't necessarily mean they've been made a minister by the grace of God. But it does mean they could have chosen this to do it on their own. I would rather... Here, a man or a woman who received a call from God and they spent their time in the woods kneeling at an old tree stump and may not have all of their verbs in the right place and pronounce the words properly. I'd rather hear that person minister the word of God under the anointing than hear someone who is exceptionally eloquent but doesn't know God and has never been born again. The grace of God is what transforms a life and causes someone to desire to be a minister. And when it comes into someone's heart that this is what they want to do, God is the one that gives them grace to do it. We all have the same message, but we're not all called to the same group of people. So if Paul says he's made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, that means ministry is different for each minister. Yeah, I I, I can't be like somebody else. I could try to imitate somebody else, but I can't be anybody other than who I am. And if someone were to say to me, well, you know, ask you all to be like so-and-so. I mean, what, what can I do to be like them? I, I've had people do that before. I had one lady one time, she wanted me to be like a, a TV preacher. How come when I come to church, you don't teach on what they teach on on television? They always saying this, they're always saying that. How come you don't ever teach on that? I said, well, if you want that, you got to stay at home. Well, I think that's what I do. I'd be glad to have you stay at home then. But you do need to know that when you go to the hospital, don't call me. That TV preacher is not going to come visit you. you see? It, it's important to know that all of us have to work with the gifts and talents that we, that we have. God ministers through personality. In all the places I've gone to preach, and, and, and lovely facilities and churches and congregations. I've never, ever come back and said to any of you or anybody else, you know what, I just wish you folks would just be like other churches. That's inappropriate, you know. That's inappropriate. The, the scripture here in verse 7 says, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effectual working of his mighty power. That means there's something that is at work in a person's life that causes them to want to do this. Because this isn't for everybody. It is not for everybody. There are people who go into ministry for the wrong reasons, and because of that, they do not last. And there are people who will go 
35 years preaching the gospel and go through nine different churches. And there are a lot of different reasons for that. Sometimes it's because they are looking for promotion to go to another place. Sometimes it's because they can't handle when someone has heard them minister about 80 different times. They can no longer come up with new things to say. They don't want to study anymore. But it's God that has to put it in a person's heart, even as the Lord put it in Paul, to do this. So ministry, whether with great riches or whether resisting poverty or whether in strong and robust health or whether fighting against illness. If God has called somebody to do this, this is in their heart. They won't want to do anything but this. Now, somebody may be bivocational and have another job as they do this, but that doesn't change the fact that ministry is something God has to make in somebody. That's the difference. When you talk to people about this, you can see the importance of it. So the, the, the minister then has to operate according to this power that God's get, God gives them. That, that's the only way I've been able to stay in Nebraska all these years because I believe it's, it's something God wants me to do. And it's something God has put in my heart. I know that there are always greener pastors and other uh, things I could be doing. But this is what I like doing. This, this is what I like doing. I like the rural areas. I like the small towns. And more importantly, I like you. Yeah. But after we had only been here about, oh, maybe about two years, Tiffany had a professor up there at Hastings College that was on a board at a church there in that town, and they, 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 they put out the feelers because they wanted me to, to submit an application to become pastor of that church. And, oh, I'm telling you, you should have seen that little salary package they had and the parsonage and all of that. I said, wow, didn't have to do but one service a week. I said, man, this would be awesome. But that's not what God called me to do. And even if I would have tried to do it, God didn't give me grace to do it. Uh, years later, when I had a, a friend, when Dr. Hilton Sutton was, was wanting us to leave Nebraska and come down to Houston and, and come on staff with him and, and travel with him and do some meetings. And he, he was talking to me about how, how wonderful that would be. I said, oh, my, that, that would be wonderful. But no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here in Nebraska. This is where God has, has called me. And some years after that, then a friend of mine from Richardson, Texas, had a church of 400 people. Good old time Pentecostal guy, used to be Assemblies of God, and he came out of that and had this church. And he had been there 35 years, and he wanted somebody to, 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 to he could turn it over to. So he called me to put the feelers out, and he was asking me, he said, Brother Darrell, something I want you to pray with me about. And he's calling to see if I'm wanting to leave. I said, I can't leave because this is where God it's called me to be, you see. If, if, if God does not give a minister grace to do a particular ministry in a particular place, he'll change every two or three years. And you know, the, the good thing about, about all of this is the families that come through the church and sometimes go to different places, and they still call years later and keep in contact. Uh, when, when they call, you know what they, they know? that They know I'm still going to be right here in the pulpit on Sunday and Tuesday. They know I'm right here. They, they know I'm accessible and, and, and reachable. And the nice thing about this is that the uh, families 
here in the church, they have a relationship with me. I've, I've got some friends that when they are in the church, they're there, and then they leave, and then the families in the church are distraught because their kids have become friends with the kids of the minister. Sometimes the ladies have gotten close to the preacher's wife, and sometimes the men have gotten close to the preacher, and then the preacher leaves, and then everybody's distraught. People are wounded, and their hearts are broken, and here comes a new preacher. new preacher's got all the zeal and excitement. He's ready to get her going, and come on, and he, he encounters a church whose hearts are broken. And he stays there, he preaches, he ministers, he heals the people. They get all excited, they have a relationship with him, and then sooner or later, he takes off and leaves. And when you've gone through that eight, or nine, or ten times, and eventually you get to where nobody wants to get close to ministers and ministry because we don't know how long he or she's going to be here anyhow. Paul says, I've been made a minister according to the grace of God. Look at chapter 3, verse number 20. Unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, God is able, see it's not a problem of ability, God is able to do much more than you're able to imagine. On your best day of faith, the biggest thing you can conceive doesn't even compare to what God is able to do. His ability. God is able to do great things. So there was a lady, a Mrs. Frank Zimmerman, many years ago in Canada, who was married to a farmer, and one day she was sitting in her house by the window reading a tract, and her husband had gone to gather the cows. So she had a little boy who was, you know, old enough to ride a tricycle. He was out here playing in front of the the uh, window, while she was reading, she could see him, so she knew he was safe. But as she kept reading, she then looked up and then and no noticed he was gone. So she just thought, well, maybe he just kind of rolled around the side of the house. He's going to come back in view here pretty soon. So as she's reading, something inside of her said, go and check on Wayne. That's her son. Well, she, she ignored it. She didn't move. Then after a few more minutes, she, she heard that voice again, go and check on Wayne in, in her heart. She got up, hastened out the door, looking to see where he was at. She didn't see him in the front yard anywhere. So she walked over to where the grain bin was at and stood in front of it and started calling out his name. And as she was calling his name, she looked and noticed that out there in the creek, she, she saw what looked like a body just kind of floating there in the water. Well, immediately she knew that, that that looked like her son, but the current was such she couldn't just wade right on out there. So she went over the hill across the dam to where these wooden gates were at, and, and she was crying and sobbing, of course, and she was crying out, oh, God, please help me as I go out there. And she's just screaming, telling her son, wait, I'm coming, I'm coming. And so she gets out there in the water, and the current of the water is going fast enough, and the water is high enough that it could have easily swept her off of her feet. But she slowly but surely waded out there to where her son was that and the only thing sticking up out of the water was his nose his body was submerged don't know how many minutes only thing sticking up was the nose she reached and grabbed her little boy and of course Wayne started crying as soon as she grabbed him marched back in the house but you know the amazing thing about that <clears throat> the woman did not know how to swim so here's, here's, here's my point. There will be times in your life or maybe times in your life 
where you come to the end of yourself and it has to be the ability of God that steps in to help you because under normal circumstances you wouldn't do it. Unto him that is able, the scripture is very plain, he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. Even when you're afraid of water and you got to wait out there for your child. See, parents will do amazing things for their kids. Scripture says, greater love has no man than this, that he that will lay down his life for his friend. There are a lot of people in this world, in the history of this world, that have died for a friend, taken a bullet for a friend, been stabbed for a friend, have lost their lives for a friend because they wanted to defend them. Jesus climbed up on the cross and he died in our place. When penalty and judgment should have come to us, but that's exactly what he did. He died for us. Notice Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse number 23. The scripture says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You have to change your thinking. Yeah. Now, why do we need to change our thinking? Look at verse 17. That you henceforth do not walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, that's beyond conviction, have given themselves over to lasciviousness, that's uh, a lack of sexual restraint, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Put off. Former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Before we started walking with the Lord, we thought like the world, we acted like the world, but it was important once we became a Christian to change our mind, change our thinking, because our behavior follows our, our thinking. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So the only way to really change a person's thinking is with the word of God. And if your thoughts run contrary to scripture, then essentially, even though you may say you're a Christian, you're still living a rebellious life because your thoughts in your life are contrary to what the scripture says. But if, if you're looking for safety and security and ignorance, you won't find it in scripture. Some people say, well, I, I don't want to read the Bible because that Bible tells me so many things I have to do and it's better for me if I don't know it. Ignorance of the law doesn't change the fact that you're a lawbreaker. Mm -hmm. Scripture says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. The more that you know of the word of God, the less shame and guilt there will be in your life because you know that now I'm working to conform my life to steps that have been already prepared for me by Christ. So even as Christ has left us an example, so walk in his steps, Peter says. I mean, you don't want to be the kind of person who God turns over to one of those very bad minds because people don't want to do what's right. But let's suppose, let's suppose that when you get older, you want to leave a will because of your, the, the, the massive amount of possessions that you have. And so you, you go to a, a lawyer and you, you tell the lawyer, I'd like to do a will because if something happens, I do want to make sure that everything in my possession I leave to somebody. So, so you and Tina and others, you gather with the lawyer and you're outlining all of this stuff and, and you're wanting to, to leave all of this to pastor. You know, your house, cars, your boats, clothing, all that, you know, all that kind of stuff. 
But let's say you want to leave it with someone. The, the lawyer is going to make sure that you are in the right mind. And then after he goes through all of that, he's going to ensure that he has some witnesses there to sign when you say, I so-and-so am of sound mind and body and so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. And all of that's left now. So when, it, when it's time for that person to pass away and they're gone, here's this will that now has to pass through probate court. And as it goes through probate court, the point of the probate court is to examine the document. Got to make sure it's authentic. Then at the same time, to, to verify that the statements are true. So you may have to talk to those witnesses again. And then you want to make sure that the person that composed the document, signed the document, was in their right mind and were, was not coerced by anybody. And so if that's the case, it makes it all the way through probate court, and then you can turn around and do whatever it is that you need to do in order to disperse all of the stuff to the people. But if it goes through probate court, and then all of a sudden here comes a cousin who nobody has seen in the last 30 years and decides it's just not right that all of that goes to those persons, and they say, we want to challenge the will. So now the will has to go back through probate court. It has to be reprobated. Now they're going to go through all of this process again, and they're going to try to examine it, determine whether or not the person made these decisions on their own or somebody told them to do it. If it passes through that circumstance and the person who brought the suit or the accusation and challenged it, if that person is found to be in the wrong or an error, then legally that person is deemed a reprobate. So what's a reprobate? A person who challenges something that is authentic and true, but regardless of outcome comes to the conclusion, I don't believe it, I refuse to accept it. That's what happens in Romans chapter 1 when the Bible's talking about those who give themselves over to illicit affections and lusts and desires. I'm a man, I want another man, that's all there is to it. I'm a girl, I want another girl, that's all there is to it. So the scripture says God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things that are inconvenient. They have chosen to say, I know that there are assertions and statements in the Bible that says this activity is wrong, but they have chosen to say, I refuse to accept the Bible as an authentic document. I'm going to do what I want to do. The Bible says that's called a reprobate mind. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse number 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. If you renew your thinking, then you'll think the thoughts of God. So notice verse, verse 24, put on the new man. So the Christian life is about shedding things and putting on things. It's about becoming more and more like the Lord. Let me give you another one here. Chapter 5, look at verse number 1 and 2. It says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Verse 2, Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given us example of an offering, sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. So our example is Jesus. That's who he is. Christ, who he is. What did he do? He loved us. He gave himself for us. What did he not do? Look at verse 3. Fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, let it not be once named among you as you become saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. 
For this you know that no whoremonger, unclean person, or covetous man, or a person who is an idolater, have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So verse 3, we're Christian. We don't engage in physical intimacy outside of the covenant uh, of marriage. God wants to protect us and preserve us. Our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. So that which is confined or limited to marriage, we avoid because that is scripture. If, if, if it's outside the, the marital covenant, we avoid that. Also, it says covetousness. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's car, camel, or ox in ancient times, spouse, okay, all of that, that, that kind of a thing. It says, let it not be once named among you. So, so that means it's possible not to do these things. Otherwise, he wouldn't say it. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't say it at all. Filthiness or foolish talking, I've got a joke I'd like to tell, but I don't think Pastor Darrell would like it. Well, maybe you ought not tell it at all. We're Christian. We don't, we don't do dirty jokes. We don't do that. No, no, that, no kind of foolish talking like that. You'll destroy your testimony in the eyes of the people that, to whom that you want to be a strong witness. And I can tell you, when you start going down that road, it's hard to get your witness back on track where people will listen to you because they're constantly thinking about that dirty joke that was told. Yeah, be very careful. It's better to just walk away. I know that there are people in this world, they say things that are absolutely terrible, and sometimes the jokes and things like that are actually funny, but sometimes you've got to walk away. Just got to walk away. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, not, not a good thing. Now, Darrell wasn't raised in a, in, a, in, a, in a Christian home, so Pastor wasn't an exceptionally holy child. So I used, to, I used to do things that I shouldn't have done, and, and I did them because they were accessible. So when I was a little boy, there was a very popular, popular comedian who... Uh, was not good, and he's a guy named Richard Pryor. And so my 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 parents they they used to have uh, some of them albums in that house, you know. And so my brothers and I, when when mom and dad would leave, you know, they'd be gone, and we'd sneak, and we'd put the Richard Pryor album on. And, oh, we'd be in the basement yucking it up and having a good time listening. Oh, he was hilarious. And then, then we'd try to put everything right back the way it was supposed to be. And, of course, parents, they, they have a way of knowing what's inside their kids. And the reason they know it is because they know what was inside them. Then they come back and they, they, they look at them album covers and they start asking them questions. Somebody been down here in these albums? And of course, oldest brother, I don't know what's wrong with these kids today. They looking and listening to stuff they're not supposed to be listening to. Middle brother, Rick, oh, mom, you know, you, you, you don't know what's going on around here. You don't know what Anthony or Daryl going to be doing when you guys leave. Well, there's nobody for me really to blame. I, I, I'm a little kid. I, I end up in trouble because I participated. I'm a little kid. But, but, but here's the thing. Now, now that I, I'm a Christian, then the, then the scripture says, I, I need to use my mouth for giving thanks, not for parroting what is sinful like that. See? Then verse 5, 
it uses that old English word, whoremonger. We might say whorish today, or somebody who's giving themselves away to people they should not be giving themselves away to. But God wants us to know it is important to maintain our testimony. You young people, I mean, young boys and young girls, they can be attractive. But if you're a Christian, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Act like that. Act the same way with respect to your body like you would when you come to what you believe is the church or a house of God. Show the same kind of respect there as you would with yourself. Show the same kind of respect with yourself as you would there. Look at chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse number 10. This is where we'll stop. It says, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This is not something you can do on your own. Don't ever think your willpower is strong enough to help you in the midst of every temptation. You need God. You need Jesus. And the scripture says, when you think that you are standing, take heed lest you fall. There have been many times in my life where I said, I know I'm strong enough to handle this. No, 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 you, you'll fall. You, you'll fall. Just, just by virtue of the fact that you think you're strong. You're already on that walking that tightrope, and the devil is on either side. He's shaking it, and you haven't realized that you're shaking yet. But just, just give it time, and you're going to lose your balance because of pride. The scripture says pride precedes destruction. A haughty spirit precedes a big fall. It's a big fall. The reason it's a big fall is because it's puffed up with pride. And when people come down with all of that pride, it hurts them, and it breaks them because it's like a, a puffer fish, and it loses all of the air it goes out of it. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, my, this was not what I thought that I was. Mm -hmm. So verse 12 tells you that you're a wrestler. It's not people that are your problem, it's demon spirits. The temptation is created by the devil, spiritual wickedness. So verse 13 through 17 tells you that you're a warrior and you need to put on certain kinds of armor. You are not to try to wrestle demon spirits in the nude. In ancient Greece, Greco-Roman wrestling was without clothing. Yeah, but now Paul is saying you are a wrestler, but you've got to put something on if you're going to beat the devil. You can't, you can't do this on your own. You cannot do this spiritually naked. You've got to have on a helmet of salvation. You need a shield of faith. You need all of these, these, uh, these tools in order to be able to resist the devil. What's the point of wrestling? To, to pin your opponent. You know that. And, and wrestling is one of those sports that um, it evokes a lot of emotion and passion. Some of these wrestling matches out here, I'm serious. I had thought that maybe some of the parents were going to come out of the stands. Yeah, this, this stuff is, I mean, there is a lot of uh, emotion attached to this. and it, it was the same when I was little, too. I never wrestled, but my older brothers did. And, and my brother Rick, he, he was good. My dad was a wrestling coach, and my brother Rick had strong upper body strength, and my dad always wrestled that boy in a higher weight class. And one time we had to go to one of them tournaments, and, and, and Rick got out there on that mat with a guy that was much bigger and brawnier than he was. And I'm telling that young man was tossing my brother around like he was a rag doll. I mean, he just going from here to there. And I mean, he's just having fun with him and everything. 
And, and one time, he body slammed my brother so hard, I'm sure I thought my mom was coming down the bleachers to go and put her foot on that little boy's neck. I'm telling you, I thought she was going to do that, but she didn't. But she was hot. And remember, you're dealing with unsaved people. I mean, there's just language flying back in. It, it wasn't pretty at all. And, but, but she never did. But, but when it got into that, that third round there, and that, that young man still going after my brother, and he's doing all of this and flipping him all around and putting him in all these different moves. When it got towards the end, my brother, who had strong upper body strength and never did let the guy pin him, Right in the final moments, my brother spun around and grabbed that guy who had wore himself out trying to get my brother out of the match, and Rick pinned him. See, he pinned him. Now that, that, that is what we, we have to be concerned about when it comes with the adversary. You, you, you may lo lose a few little battles here and there with, with temptations and stuff like that, but ultimately you, you're able to pin him because you've got strength that, that doesn't come from you. Scripture says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. A righteous man falls seven times and he gets back up. That means a righteous man can fall. Mm -hmm. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the, the man Christ Jesus. So when I do wrong, rather than sit down in the mud puddle and feel guilty and ashamed and let the devil beat me up and make me feel bad, I get up and I take a bath in the blood and I say, oh, God, please forgive me. And God, let me start all over again. I mean, even if you have to do that 20 times in a day. Yeah, don't, don't live with condemnation, shame, but know that the scripture is very plain that Jesus has made provision for you that you can have freedom and liberty. The man or woman that refuses to repent when they've done wrong and they're under conviction is a person who's going to spend a lot of time in condemnation and guilt. But when I put my head down on that pillow every night, I'm able to whisper to God, Father, anything I've done or said today, Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me, Lord, as, as I'm going off to, off to sleep. And, and like I, I, I told uh, my, my wife today, I, I, said, I said, between you and the Holy Ghost, I said, there's just not a whole lot of room for problems around here. I mean, you, you folks are always pointing out this and pointing out that. Praise the Lord for wives. Amen. Pray, praise the Lord for wives. The Bible says, he that findeth a wife findeth a thing. Yeah. Findeth a good thing. Good thing. Findeth a good thing. Amen. He that finds a wife finds a good thing. And where would we men be without our ladies? Yeah. Amen. Let's stand. I tell you. Oh, my. What a mighty God, folks. Yes. Wow. This just looks good over here. Yeah. This looks good. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Folks, God opens up doors. God closes doors. But the scripture says when God opens them, no man can close them. And as God brings favor into your life, greater abundance, I mean, just accept it. Be glad about it. And don't worry about who's jealous or envious of you. Just praise the Lord that God has brought blessing and promotion to you and go right ahead. Keep your heart right. Be humble. and Know that he that humbles himself in the presence of God shall be exalted and lifted up. But remember, the one that exalts himself will be brought low, the scripture says. But you 
know the book of Ephesians because all of the things that are placed in there, just apply them now. Let's live them every day. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is true. And when we look at where we fall short, we know that your grace makes up the difference. And for that, we can only say thank you. We ask you, Lord, that you continue to lead and guide us and direct us. Let our lips produce praise for you and gratitude and thanks. Let our lifestyles reflect holiness. God, let people know that we love the Lord Jesus Christ and help us not to be ashamed of anything in connection with you, with the Bible, with our church, but to love you with our whole heart, God. These things, O oh Lord, we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen.